pretty weird, right? Uh, that, ladies and gentlemen, is the sport of race walking. Uh, and believe it or not, race walking has been a part of the Olympics since 1904. Um, a month ago, the Tokyo Olympic Games ended, and David Tomla of Poland won. He walked 31 miles at a pace of uh, 7 minutes and 24 seconds per mile. So that means that he walks faster than most of us in here can run. Um, which is pretty, pretty hard to believe. You know, um, I was going to demonstrate race walking and not show a video, but my hips don't move like that. So um, that's why I showed the video. But there's two rules to, to keep in mind when uh, thinking about race walking. First, there's the straight leg rule, which means you can't bend your leg like in a normal run. You have to keep it straight through the center line and only bending at that. That's why they're doing that thing like like this, if you can tell. And then the other thing is you have to keep one foot in contact with the ground at all times. Uh, in traditional running, you might not know this, but at, there are certain points when both feet are actually off the ground. If you've never experienced this, you've never run, all right? Um, so... Um, there's also like judges throughout the course who, who critique and, and hit signs and warn walkers as they walk. So it's actually pretty complicated walking. Um, and I think today's text, we're going to read Galatians 5, 16 through 26. And I think sometimes we automatically assume like, oh yeah, I'm walking in the spirit. Sure. But we aren't. Or we think it's too difficult or too complicated uh, but walking in the Spirit is simple to understand, but sometimes we make it too hard to do. Because maybe we see the Christian life as a bunch of do's and don'ts, rules, and, and it, that's not what it's about. And that's what this whole book of Galatians is about. It's about grace. So wherever you are today, I know that the Holy Spirit um, has something to say to you, and, and I'm excited. Uh, let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word, and, and Father, I just pray that you would open our eyes. I know if you start something today, you will complete it. So Lord, I just, I just pray that you give us ears to hear and that we would be expectant to hear from you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now I'd like for you to stand as we read God's word, all right? We'll start at verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you were led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. 
Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. You may be seated. Uh, if this is the first time, um, if, it, if this is your first time here, welcome. And we are going through uh, the book of Galatians together as a church. And, and Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this book and, and send it to the church because there was a group of false teachers who had entered in and said, it's more than just Jesus. You need Jesus plus you need to follow all these other things. But, but actually the gospel that Jesus brought, the good news that he brought, is that it's not about anything else. It's about him. You can't qualify yourself by your good works. You can't work hard enough to, to be good enough. The good news that Jesus brings us, which I'll probably call the gospel many times today, is that it's not about you anymore. And by, when you believe and trust in Jesus and put your faith in him, that's all you need. So we stand before God, not because of what we've done, but because of what he did. So the gospel is the good news, and it means that Jesus plus nothing. In the verses leading up to our passage today, Paul is reminding us in Galatians uh, that this freedom from performance is not to, um, we don't use this freedom as a license to sin. Knowing that we already have God's approval means that, that we can love without needing love in return. And, and we can, we can, um, we can only do that through his spirit. So let's look at the first three verses again. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. See, Paul uses the, the image here of walking to convey that it's not about a one-time decision when it comes to following Jesus. Walking is the way that you live your life. When you decided to follow Jesus and he became the Lord and Savior of your life, Jesus purchased you, and the price he paid for you was his life. When this happened, you received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, recently, I've watched a series about basketball players, and it follows them through a season. And these guys are gifted. And if you've ever played sports before, you know there's a difference between a good player and a gifted player. Gifted players, they see things differently, they, they move differently, they think differently. And, and these guys, as you watch them play, you're like, man, they're good. Like, they're really good. And you're, you're like, they're definitely on their way to the pros, but they're not anywhere close to that. They're playing junior college basketball. And, and they, they, they are so far from uh, suiting up for an NBA team that it's, almost, it's like their last straw. They're, they're at the end of the rope. This is their last option. The choices that they made outside of their gifting impacted their future. And, and when you're watching the show, you're like, dude, like, you're so good. Like, get out of your own way. Like, focus. Like, dude, if I had that talent, I could be in the NBA. What are, what are you doing? You know? And, um, it, it literally breaks your heart to see them waste what they've been given. And sometimes this is how we can be when it comes to the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're so gifted, but we choose to live outside of the gift that he's given us. Is it because we forgot we've, we were bought? 
1 Corinthians says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. We have the Spirit of the living God living on the inside of us. This is a privilege. This isn't the time where we yawn and, and go, oh yeah, I know. No, this is like, wow. Like, I cannot believe this. Like, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, He's in you. Uh, the same Spirit that filled the early disciples and the early church and, and set the world on fire for Jesus, that's in you too. Yeah, like He's the same person. He's not an impersonal force, somebody that we run to when we're making a big decision or want to know if we should date somebody or whatever. Like, he's there for those times, but he's so much more. Amen. And he's, he's happy about it. He, 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 he wanted, if he wanted to put his spirit over us and just have it hover over us, he would have done that and he could have done that. But, but he wants no separation when it comes to you. Why would we ever make decisions or, or choose to live and walk outside of the Spirit? The flesh. Well, what's the flesh? Well, the flesh here is not just our physical body, but it actually includes, it's the term sarks, and it includes our, our mind, our will, and emotion. And the definition, I think the best one for this, is making decisions or actions according to self done apart from faith. This isn't just tied to, to negative decisions or actions that we make uh, or things that maybe even seem respectable, but this is anything that is self-empowered and not reliant upon the Spirit of God. Paul in Romans talks about the mind that is set on the flesh. He says, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. That is why Paul, knowing that our fleshly mind still exists in us, urges us in Romans 12 to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. These fleshly mindsets have been programmed in us by, by good experiences, by bad experiences, by what we've seen in the world, by what we've seen modeled for us. Have you guys ever heard of uh, neural pathways? Good. Uh, this is a very simplified, uh, this is super simplified, so um, I'm glad you already kind of know some things. So basically how your brain works is it's a supercomputer, and when you, when you learn things, your brain carves out pathways to access that information. So um, this applies to decisions that um, you make, things that you do, um, even to like answers like two plus two. Uh, you know exactly where that is, and your brain probably went right to four, hopefully. If not, <laughs> we can talk later. Um, this is the way that God designed our brains, and it's awesome, but it's not awesome when it's programmed by the world around us and our flesh. All right? It's almost like an autopilot. You know the switch that pilots flip when they get into the air? It's like a pre-programmed route to a destination. It's it's, it's, it's the same thing with the mind that's set on the flesh. When you get into a stressful situation and you get anxious, when people don't do what you want them to do and you get angry, you desire for people to like you so you seek their approval, 
uh, you get some juicy details about somebody, and you run to, to your brother and sister in the Lord, and you tell them so you guys can pray for them. When you go for the second look, when you go and you look again at the woman that just passed by you, these are the programs that I'm talking about. And, and, and whatever it may be, that these paths that we go down, we don't have to. We're no longer slaves to sin, but we can't do that on our own. The answer, the only answer, Paul tells us, is to walk in the Spirit. Verse 17, we see the flesh and the Spirit are opposed to one another. That means that you could never have a self-controlled outburst of anger. Um, uh, these are opposed. To say it another way, uh, if a red team played a blue team in basketball, when the, when the whistle is blown and the ball is tipped, a purple team does not show up, all right? They're opposed. It's either flesh or spirit. The phrase, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. This, is, this has tripped me up a, a few times, and I've even been in men's groups where, um, where, where they, um, they use it as a, as a way of saying like, oh yeah, you're going to struggle with that, brother. You're going to... Um, that's just, that's just what you're going to do. That's just how things happen. And, and they use this as a license to sin and to, and to not live in the Spirit. Are there always going to be the things that we can never overcome and, and, and things that we hate doing? What we believe impacts how we walk. When we value our experience above God's Word and question the Holy Spirit's power in our lives, that's not a path that we want to be on. Because we end up conceding areas in our life where we failed and failed and failed. And we assume, yeah, you know, I shouldn't do this, but I can't stop. This is true for people who don't follow Jesus. Paul says that very thing in Romans chapter 7. He says, he speaks of a person who doesn't have the power of the Spirit and is a slave to sin and fleshly impulses. But as believers, sin is not something that we're powerless against. The book of James says it comes from our own desires within us. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Our own desires come from the mind that is set on the flesh. These fleshly pathways can be destroyed and expelled by the Holy Spirit who lives within us. But we don't form these new paths on our own. Maybe this is just me, but there have been many times that something's been shown to me and, uh, by the Holy Spirit. And, and I've been like, oh, I know exactly what to do. I'll Google it. So I Google I Google a Bible verse about anger, and, I, and I'm like, oh, okay, scroll down the list. I like this one. Let me see what version sounds the best, and it's easy enough for me to repeat. And then I get that version, and then I just go to repeating it every time I get angry. But that's never worked for me. And, 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 and a lot of times, I just end up getting frustrated and, and, and give up. If we stop and think about it, this mentality that I just talked about is rooted in, I got myself into this, I'm going to get myself out of it. 
It's not about cramming for finals when it comes to walking out your faith. If information was all we needed for a holy life, the church in America would be the most holiest church on the planet, the most on-fire church on the planet. It's not about what you know. It's about who you know. The mistake that I make is by not allowing the Holy Spirit to lead this process. He's the one who identified it anyway. You think you revealed that to yourself? Ask him what to do. Wait for his direction. He might tell you to do the exact same thing, but one, you're doing it with him. The other, you're doing by yourself. Holy Spirit is your friend, and if you know a good friend when you see one, he is your best friend. Because Holy Spirit never reveals something that he's not able to fix, to change, to, to restore. Go to him first. If he exposed it, he knows exactly what to do. Verse 18, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. This is a direct reference to to the false teachers that had come into the church and said, yes, Jesus is the way, but you need to do this, and definitely do not do that. Paul's like, no, if you're led by the Spirit, you're good. Jesus took care of the requirements. Just let the Spirit lead. How is one led by the Spirit? I'm glad you asked. John Chrysostom which means golden mouth. Uh, That's a great name. An early church father said of being led by the Spirit, the Spirit is meant to have the same power over us as a pilot has over his ship or a charioteer has over his horses. Total control. The Christian life, walking in the Spirit, is about surrendering, not just once, but continually. Though it may be painful to stop and your flesh screams at the thought of you not walking down those old familiar pathways, surrendering to the Holy Spirit's prompts are good for you and benefit everybody around you. These mindsets, these fleshly mindsets that keep us from God's best and they keep us from walking in the Spirit. We used to be powerless over sin, but now we are powerful through His Spirit. We're now going to move on to the works of the flesh. And this is not an all-encompassing list. This is, these are specific things that Paul is addressing in the church uh, of Galatia. Let's read verse 19. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The first three uh, deeds on this list all deal with sex. Um, In the ancient culture, idol worship involved sex with prostitutes and various other sex acts that were outside of what God designed sex for, which is Uh, for marriage between one man and one woman. Next, you have idolatry. Pastor Tim said, we commit idolatry when we look to something other than God to give us what only God can give us. That's a good quote. Um, Sorcery here is the word pharmakia, which is where we get our word pharmacy. Scholars believe that this could also be related to idol worship where people make concoctions to induce trance-like states, Um, to worship the idol of their choice. The next 
eight works have to deal um, directly with how we relate with one another and how that church related to one another. The Holy Spirit brings unity. The flesh divides. Enmity and strife are caused by partisan divides within their community. Outbursts of anger. Obviously, I've never done that before. Um, But uh, did you know that in the ancient culture, outbursts of anger and losing one's temper was actually considered temporary insanity? I concur, as do my children. Um, (laughs) I think it's important to note that when it comes to things that we struggle with and make jokes about, um, it's important that we don't excuse our sin by making, it, by making it a personality trait or something that's culturally accepted. Because we don't live in this culture. We, we live in a kingdom culture. Um, and, and, and the phrase that should never come out of a believer's ma- mouth is, that's just who I am. No, that's who you were. That person's dead. Yeah. Dissensions and divisions are dealing with creating divisions among people. These divisions are made by personality characteristics, what club you belong to, where you live, what cars you like, what schools you went to, what high school you went to, um, what sport you play, what political party, whether you get a vaccine or you don't get a vaccine, you get the point. Um, Unity matters a lot. And Paul actually could have said this in three words, but he, he used eight all right, because he wanted to stress the point that unity in the body of Christ matters. Jesus, the night he was betrayed, prayed for our unity, that we would be one, and through our unity, not our uniformity, but our unity, that the, that the world would actually believe that he is who he says he is. That the world would look at our supernatural unity in here and out there and go, wow, he must have been the son of God. What Paul is addressing here also dispels the rumor that the way that we conduct ourselves as Christians doesn't matter. If the way we didn't conduct ourselves as Christians, if it didn't matter, Paul wouldn't have talked about it, and he wouldn't have given such a clear warning. If you practice these things and things like these, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You inherit the kingdom of God because you're a child of God. He's given you his spirit to lead you. If you're being led by the flesh, you're not being led by the spirit. Remember, opposite teams. If Jesus is your Lord, will you wrestle with sin? Yes. But your flesh will not have dominion over you. As Tom Wright says, there is a difference between wrestling and practicing. When you practice something, it means that it's settled in you. When you wrestle something, that's like an occasional lapse. We have the power to live and overcome all that tries to entangle us by the Spirit of God. So what are some characteristics of a Spirit-led life? Glad you asked. The fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. Again, this is not a comprehensive list, but notice fruit is singular. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. So we don't need to wonder what peace is, if it's a strawberry or an apple. Um, 
Craig Keener says that the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of Christ-likeness in the believer's life. This is not a checklist. We can't check off joy and peace and say, hey, you know, I'm going to give myself a half check today on kindness. I'm still working on that. We can't try to be patient or work to have self-control. That's called behavior modification. And your attempts might make it seem like you're doing something. But you're not bearing fruit. You're bearing down. Fruit isn't worked for. Christ-likeness isn't achieved by your work. It comes from abiding in Him. John 15 says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I've never seen a branch cut itself off a tree and then reattach when it needs to be nourished or heard the groans of an apple orchard as they try to produce apples, right? It, it's not about working. It, 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 the only way that we can bear fruit is by abiding in Him. And this is not some like mystical, only some people kind of that don't really have jobs can do this. This is, this is like... This is like for everybody, okay? The, the word abide just means to stay, to remain. The same word is used in John chapter 1 when two people come up to Jesus and go, where are you staying? It, it, it's where you stay. It's where you live. Abiding means keeping the words of Jesus in your heart and your mind and allowing his spirit to renew us and revive us, shape us and sanctify us, fill us and form us. We abide by allowing the spirit to lead us. It isn't something that you have to work for. It's something that has been given to us. We are united in Him, with Him. We are, we are seated with Him in heavenly places. But it's through surrendering to Him, to His Spirit, that we bear the fruit that He desires for us to bear. Verse 24, And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Who do you belong to? Yourself? Fleshly passions and desires? Or were you bought at a price? No longer your own, but His. When we're Christ, we are freed from finding our identity in and through our flesh. Though our flesh and the pathways in our mind try to control us, we must remember that we're, that's, that part of us is dead. It's been crucified with, with its passions and desires, and we're no longer powerless over it. But we have all that we need in Him. We're not victims. We have a choice. When our fleshly mindsets appear through the power of His Holy Spirit, we surrender them again and again and again. And remember that we're no longer slaves. We're sons and daughters of the King. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The word live here takes on a stronger tone, and it means to carry out your existence. So it reads more like, if we exist by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit birthed new life in us when we surrendered to Jesus and said, yes, Lord. Our new self 
exists because of the Holy Spirit. We couldn't even exist without Him. Why do we think we can walk without Him? Everything we do, even the good stuff, even the respectable things, can't be done without the Holy Spirit. We can't sustain Christ-likeness on our own. Are you tired? Weary in doing good? Are you burnt out? Did you say in your head this morning, man, I really don't feel like going to church. This might be an indicator that you're trying to sustain Christ-likeness on your own. You can't do it. You exist by the Spirit, so you can't walk by yourself. Maybe this is where you find yourself today, and, and um, as the worship team comes and Isaac uh, leads us in a song, this song has, has really been the cry of my heart. Um, I remember when I first came to the Lord. All right, I'm not, I'm not going to cry. Okay, I remember when I first came to the Lord, and I remember being like, man, he's with me. Like, I would see things, and I would, I would, I would just know that he's speaking a message to me, and in the Spirit, it was just, he was everywhere. I couldn't stop seeing him. And, and, then, and then it was like, I started learning some stuff, and, and, and it was like, oh, yeah, I know this. And, and I almost, not that learning is bad. I'm not, this is not that message. I'm just saying that, like, a lot of times what I did is, is I just, I, I took what I knew, and I was like, well, this is what I know. And I, and I totally shut him out. I turned the volume down on him. And when he, when he would show me something, I'd be like, yeah, you know, I, but I know this, you know. Um, and I'm, I'm doing ministry, and I'm doing it, and I'm doing these things, and this is what I do, and it's awesome, and, and there was no life in it. And this, this scripture, the Holy Spirit has used to show me that I was working in the flesh, I was, I was living in the flesh. I was, I was, that's all I was doing. Even though there were good and respectable things, it was all I was doing. And so I just want to encourage you today. We're going to open up the altar, and if you want to come, um, the Holy Spirit is your friend. He loves you, and He just wants to be a part of your day, and He wants to lead you and guide you step by step. And if you think, man, I, that... That's, that's too hard. All you got to do is take a step. It's just one step, one step at a time.